0: Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John's Gospel, chapter 7. We'll look at verses 14 through 31, and the text is also printed in the bulletin for you on the next page. If you need a Bible, there are some on the back table there by the children's supplies. We are not neutral listeners. We are not neutral listeners. That means we don't Take in information and process what we hear coolly and just abstractly like machines. We're not neutral listeners, and this is a reality for all of us, but you can see this pretty clearly in children, I think, not to pick on the children. They're just really good examples for the rest of us, really good examples of us, of people. If you can see anger on their faces... And you know they're unable really to hear what you're saying to them, no matter how well-reasoned your argument. If they're not getting what they want, then they're not going to listen to you or do what you say. If they feel like you're standing against them or feel like you're standing in their way, you can shout until you're blue in the face, but they won't pay attention. They won't even be able to understand or process what it is that you're actually saying to them. There will not be a connection. Alternatively, in those rare moments when your relationship is great, uh, they're able to hear and absorb and process and even sometimes obey what you say. Biblically, Biblically speaking, listening, the concept of listening is more than some neutral intellectual activity. It's very closely linked to the will. It's very, very closely linked to submitting, actually even to obeying. In fact, the Hebrew word, uh, shema, which uh, is used for hearing, is also used for obeying. Those those concepts are so similar that the same word um, in the Old Testament often means both things. So we have, a, we have a residual bit of that connection, that linguistic connection between the ideas, um, in our language, when you ask a disobedient child, are you listening to me? It's, it's more than just, can you hear the syllables that I'm trying to articulate? Is it making any sense to you, right? Especially when it comes to spiritual matters in our relationship to God, when it comes to hearing what God has to say about himself as he reveals himself to us and about us as he's the one who's actually going to give us a clear picture of who we are. God's going to tell us what we are like. He knows us better than we know ourselves. <clears throat> but when it comes to hearing that, we are not disinterested listeners ready to make objective judgments. We're not neutral listeners. When it comes to what we hear from God, you do not listen to God from some supposedly neutral position. No one does. There's something about your willingness or something about your receptivity that has to accompany your listening to Jesus. In fact, Jesus says your openness to him, Jesus says this, your openness to him is a precondition for your ability to truly listen to him, to hear what he has to say, to make any sense of it. If you come to him with the wrong attitude, it's kind of funny that it boils down to this, if you come to Jesus with the wrong attitude, you will be unable to understand him like grumpy children who can't be reasoned with. Um, if you're if you're going to hear Jesus, if you're going to begin to make sense of him and recognize him and his teachings for what they really are, it's come from God, then you must first be open to him, willing, receptive, predisposed to accept him, even submissive. And Jesus knows, humanly speaking, that that is an impossible pill to swallow, but there it is, and you've got to swallow it. So let's talk about that. Let's, let's read what Jesus has to say about it. Let me pray first, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, you do know us better than we know ourselves. We don't know all the things that are going on inside of our hearts right now as we sit to listen to your word, but we pray that you would make us able truly to hear it, to hear what you have to say to us through Jesus Christ in the gospel. We pray for your Holy Spirit's help to that end, for our good and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon, who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. I'm going to stop there, actually. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Um, We'll look at the rest of that next week. Um, john's gospel is arranged around feasts pretty much almost every chapter uh, has a feast mentioned or that's the setting chapter two the wedding feast in cana Uh, chapter five the feast when jesus went up to jerusalem it's it's an unnamed feast then but uh, and healed the invalid which is probably what he's referring to here when he says i did one work i made the, the man's whole body well and you were all upset about it right he's talking about chapter five where there was some conflict because he healed this man on the the sabbath this invalid chapter six um you've got the symbolic feast at least of his flesh and blood eating and drinking and uh and chapter seven now the feast of booths which we've introduced last week and we'll talk about for maybe a a couple more weeks uh later chapter 10 the feast of dedication finally when and then Later, when Jesus uh, returns to Jerusalem, that that last time for the feast of the Passover at his hour, when the time has fully come for him to die. Um, So John's gospel is arranged around feasts. Maybe it should be obvious, but feasts are meant to be times of celebration. God likes feasts. God wants his people's lives marked by several joyous celebrations and feasts annually. He commanded them to rejoice at these feasts. You've got those commands repeated in the Old Testament. Uh, He had to command their joy, actually, uh, not just leave it as obvious as it should be, that, hey, when you get together and have a feast, it should be like a party and you should have fun. Rejoice. He had to explicitly call attention to the fact that you, you will rejoice. You should rejoice. Because, unfortunately, they had a hard time being happy about their relationship with God. Um, they had a tendency to look at the festival calendar as a list of chores, and they couldn't hear the note of celebration that was intended by this uh, calendar of feasts. So when Jesus first shows up at the Feast of Booths now, which we've got in chapter 7 here of John's Gospel, and he makes his present felt, immediately people become unhappy. They're grumpy. They find reasons to complain says in verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. So John doesn't tell us what Jesus was saying. He doesn't record the content here, just in this verse, of what Jesus was talking about. The content actually doesn't matter at this point. The point is that uh, the Jews who heard it opposed it. They didn't like it. The point is, uh, it was impossible for them to hear what he had to say to them because they were predisposed against him. They were opposed to him. It says in verse 15, The Jews therefore marveled. And that word um, uh, is kind of an interesting one. We'll come to it in just a second. They they marveled, saying, How is it this man has learning when he's never studied? So marveled. It doesn't mean that they were impressed. It doesn't mean... Uh, sometimes that word can be used that way but here i think you get the idea it's um it's not that they were impressed like wow hey he's pretty smart for like an unschooled guy <laughs> right um it means they are more like they were shocked they were jolted they were disturbed they were upset uh on a on a pretty deep level because jesus he didn't have the proper credentials to be teaching in the temple who does he think he is right um got to notice this, got to notice this. They're not reflecting on the substance of his words. They're upset that he's even talking at all. And And they look to justify their opposition to him. Their opposition is a prior thing. And they're looking to justify their opposition by saying, he doesn't have the authority to teach here. Sort of implying, we don't really need to listen to him. Who does he think he is? He's just making this stuff up. We don't have to listen to him. So Jesus answered them saying, my teaching's not mine. I'm not making this stuff up. My teaching's not mine, but his who sent me. Talking about God, his father. Jesus has come from God the father. One of the things he's come to do is teach and teach God's own message to these people. So he's not making this stuff up. But that's the real question, isn't it? That's the question for us. Is his teaching from God? Jesus seems to assume that it is. But that's the question that we have. Is his teaching from God? Jesus is claiming that his teaching comes directly from God the Father. If that's true, then... He has absolute authority, and no one has any excuse for not listening to him. Everybody must listen to Jesus, if it's true that his teaching comes from God. But even more than this, um, even more than that claim that his teaching comes from God, Jesus is actually pointing again, as he's done a few times in John's Gospel, uh, he's pointing again to his own humility. Admittedly, a difficult thing for anyone to do and get away with, attention to their own humility right but that's what he's doing he says that the one in verse 18 the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory there's this self-centeredness this this self-aggrandizing this self-glorifying that happens when someone speaks on his own authority the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true And in him, there is no falsehood. Jesus is not seeking his own glory. He's seeking his father's glory, which is why he says you can depend on what he says. You can believe him. He's true. He's trustworthy. And his words carry ultimate authority. He is like a king's messenger who is absolutely loyal, absolutely loyal to his king and to deliver the king's communication faithfully on his behalf. Um, The only way to be suspicious of such a one and to be dismissive of such a one is to call into question his motives, his stated motives, to accuse him of ulterior motives, self-seeking, self-aggrandizing motives, or to cast off the king's authority, neglect it and reject it altogether. What you presuppose about God, what you presuppose about Jesus, will determine whether you even listen to him or not. Jesus says, you have no reason to distrust me because I'm not selfishly seeking my own glory. Could it be that you're casting off the king's authority? If Jesus speaks the truth, then he speaks the truth, and we should all listen. The problem, the problem seems to be with people's unwillingness to listen. That's what Jesus is calling attention to here. He does it throughout the Gospels. The problem is not the believability of Jesus, or the believability of the Father, or the believability of the Gospel. The problem is not with them. The problem is with our unwillingness to listen, to hear. He says in verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. So he's saying if you're in alignment with God, if your will lines up with God, if you're in alignment with God, then my words will resonate with you. If you're in opposition to God, you won't be able to hear what I'm saying as the truth. The only thing the Father ever, ever says in the Gospels is, "This is my beloved Son; listen to Him." It's the only command that He ever gives. The Father from heaven ever gives in the Gospels is this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased listen to him if you're going to obey god then you will listen to jesus is jesus teaching from god <laughs> if you accept that it is then you can know that it is it's a very strange thing to say it's it's hard to compute If you can accept that Jesus is from God and that his teaching is from God, then you can know that it is. You can listen. You can hear. He says later in John's gospel, my sheep know my voice because they're my sheep, because they follow me. Well, that doesn't sound reasonable. I need to judge whether something is true. I need to judge whether something is true before I accept that it's true. Right? Why? On what basis are you making that judgment? On the basis of your own judgment? Saying I need to be able to judge Jesus before I can accept him? Jesus says no. No, you won't have good judgment about anything that God says, that God reveals. You won't have good judgment until you first accept me. That's what he's saying here. Prejudice against God, prejudice, prejudgment, predisposal against God, makes it impossible to listen to Jesus. The heart's rejection of Jesus is what leads the mind to refuse to know him, to refuse to hear him, to reject his teachings. It's not that we have clear, objective judgment and we're able to sift and justly weigh Jesus' words when we hear them. We either reject his authority or we accept his authority. And that is the determining factor in our ability to learn from him and gain wisdom from him. And come to know God through him. And Jesus knows it is the predisposition of every heart. Every heart. In case you were wondering, you're not alone. It's the predisposition of every heart to reject his authority. And therefore, to be unable, unable to listen to him as he reveals God to us. He gives a pretty simple object lesson here in the rest of our little passage. Starting in verse 19. Hasn't Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Look, you have God's will. If anyone does God's will, if anyone's will is to do God's will, then you, then you can hear, then you can listen, then you can know that I've come from God and that my teaching has his authority behind it. You have God's will in the Ten Commandments, but you don't do God's will. And you can't even see the fact that you don't do God's will. You don't even understand that you're disobedient because you're disobedient. For example, you want to kill me, which is clearly, if you look at the Ten Commandments, not God's will. That's pretty simple. You don't do God's will, and you can't even see the fact that you don't do God's will because you're disobedient to God. That's pretty simple. Can they understand that? No. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Right. It's such a dishonest question. The very next thing that this crowd says in verse 25 is, hey, wait, isn't this the guy that they're seeking to kill? Look, they know people want Jesus dead. They know that. It's just that they've been stung by his words. You have God's will, you have the law, and you don't keep it. And that stings, so they lash out at him and say, you have a demon. Their words are angry, their words are hostile. That's what's coming from them, is hostility toward Jesus. They're not listening to what he's saying, they're not processing what he's saying. They can't see it, they can't understand it, because they're hostile to Jesus. And ironically, at this very moment, when they say, you have a demon, they're acting like the serpent's seed. They're calling God a liar. They're impugning his character. They're opposing him for no good reason. So Jesus continues to address them with the law, which they say they accept and understand, yet which in reality they reject and can't understand. He says, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. You're all upset about the fact that I healed the invalid on the Sabbath. Well, here, here let's, let's try some logic. Moses gave you circumcision, right? Not that it was from Moses, but it's from the fathers. But you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Well, if, a, if, a, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision... So that the law of Moses may not be broken? Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a a man's whole body well? Do you understand the law at all? It's a simple argument from the lesser to the greater. If it's good to circumcise on the Sabbath, to to fix one part of a man's body, how much better when I restored the whole thing? If, If it's good to have the symbol of restoration, performed on the Sabbath, why wouldn't it be good to have the actual thing performed on the Sabbath, the real restoration? But you're not being logical. You're not being reasonable. You can't think straight about the law, about things like this, in your application of God's revelation, because you don't like it, because you're actually, at heart, rebels against God. That's the first thing going on inside of you. You don't want to hear what God has to say. You pretend to be zealous for the law, yet you're zealous to kill me, which is obviously a blatant violation of the law, Jesus says. Right? <clears throat> and you can't even understand that. You can't even understand that dynamic because you reject God's authority and you won't listen to me. You need to stop pretending. And you need to start seeing how things really are. Stop judging the appearances and start judging with right judgment, he says. Which means you need to stop your resistance. That's what really needs to happen. You need to stop your resistance against God. You need a change of attitude towards Jesus. You need a predisposition to accept him and his authority as from God before you will be able to listen and judge aright. What he has to say. You need to hear his words with faith. You need to hear his words with dependence, with trust. First, you need to submit to him and say, whatever you say goes, and then, and only then, will you have understanding. I think you see this quite a bit in our Old Testament reading from Psalm 119. But the Proverbs put it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of being able to judge things rightly, being able to understand and perceive the way things really are as revealed from God. The beginning of all that is the fear of the Lord. The fear, fear of the Lord is a relational term. It's heart language. Not just mental calculating processes. Right? Wisdom is not just an intellectual neutral exercise that anybody can have. The fear of the Lord begins in your heart and it's a relational concept. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So submission to him and reverence to him. And obedience and, and a desire to glorify God comes first and then comes wisdom according to God's truth, God's teaching, God's revelation. It's being restored to a proper relationship to him as God is necessary before you can judge with right judgment. And now you can see how this is really impossible, humanly speaking. Because if you're anything like me, I'm saying this stuff and it doesn't make sense to me. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. The one who prays, give me wisdom, give me the ability to judge rightly, show me your truth, really is praying for a relationship with God to be reestablished, by which God answers, By pointing you to his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. Come into the world for our reconciliation so that we could be reunited with this God uh, with whom we've been hostile, toward whom we've been hostile, so that through Jesus we might fear God and love God and seek to glorify God. Jesus is God's answer to this dilemma. And the one who prays for reconciliation to God through Jesus discovers, sort of in hindsight, usually, that all along, God was behind even that. Even the fact that I prayed for reconciliation to God, that was because of God's gracious initiative. God was the one who was behind that from the beginning. His spirit. Jesus says, As we read about it in Nicodemus, uh, in his interactions with Nicodemus, talking about the Holy Spirit and and, uh, regeneration in John chapter 3, his spirit is the one who takes the initiative, who grants us faith, who grants us the ability to look to Jesus and accept him and not reject him, who makes us willing to do God's will, which which Jesus defines as believing in the one whom God has sent primarily or essentially. Uh, Doing God's will means listening to Jesus. And that's that's regeneration, that's being born again. Um, Here's a bad illustration, just cheesy. Captain America, Civil War. Anybody seen Captain America Civil War? (laughs) Boy, nobody raised their hands. Um, Captain America has this old friend, Bucky. They fought in World War II together, right? Great friends, buddies before the war. Bucky got captured by the enemy. Bucky was brainwashed by the enemy. Right? And he forgot all of his old friendships. And the next time he saw Captain America, he attacked him and tried to kill him. Right? Because he was brainwashed, he serves the will of the enemy. And he was rescued. His friends rescued him. But that brainwashing and that conditioning still threatened those relationships to the point where he had a deep distrust of himself and he said i can't even trust my own mind i can't even trust my own mind that's a very christian thing to say i can't trust what's going on inside of me i can't trust the way i'm processing what i hear about god i can't trust my own mind so what does bucky do he submits himself to his friends he puts their life his life in their hands and he allows himself to be cryogenically frozen until they can fix him. <laughs> I'm not sure if the analogy's kind of falling apart here, but, <clears throat> um, but until they can free him of his mind conditioning, of his brainwashing, right? Until they can sort of resurrect him and, and bring him back restored. The enemy has brainwashed us. That's a hard thing to hear. Jesus says a lot of stuff like that, especially in John's Gospel, and people don't like to hear it. But the enemy has brainwashed you and taught you to hate God, to be suspicious of God, that that would be your first reaction to God, is one of suspicion and hostility and rejection and opposition. Your friend, Jesus, gives you the Holy Spirit through this new birth and frees you from that hostility and it restores your relationship to God so that you will accept him rather than rejecting him that's the work of God, that's the work of the Holy Spirit if you're going to make any sense of Jesus if Jesus is going to be talking to you or if you're going to be reading the scriptures and you're going to make any sense of it, if you're going to listen if you're going to really listen to Jesus and recognize him and his teachings as come from God, the Holy Spirit has to open you up and bring you back into alignment with God and take away your resistance and grant you receptivity and bring you from suspicion to submission. In other words, It's only after he reestablishes your relationship to God that you'll be able to hear Jesus without wanting him dead. And in the great paradox of God, he used our wanting him dead. He used our rebellion. He used our hostility, our rejection of God. He used that to reestablish the relationship to God. It was the master stroke on his part Because we refused to listen to Jesus, because we rejected him to the point of crucifying him, he was crucified. And now, there is the word of reconciliation that because of his crucifixion, all of our sins have been forgiven. That a proper relationship to God has been restored. Which is the renewal of our ability to listen to Jesus. If you trust Christ, if you trust him, then he is true wisdom come from God, and in him is found right judgment that transforms your mind. Confess your prejudices against him. He's not going to strike you down with lightning when you do that. Confess your prejudices against God, and then set it aside and come to him as your Lord. Come to Jesus as your Lord. It's a big deal, you know, it's, a, it's a big pill to swallow. Come to Jesus as your Lord and listen, truly listen, as he speaks words of life and peace and wisdom to you, and you will be able to judge with right judgment. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is impossible for us, humanly speaking, uh, who can even bear these words, that we would be able to move forward in a relationship with you in a way, circumventing our own judgment. Yet that is where life is found because our judgment is our weapon against you. We pray that you would disarm us, take away all of our weapons, change us from the inside out, do that work that only you can do by your Holy Spirit. Make us soft toward Christ. Make us able to receive Christ instead of rejecting him. We pray because... You're the only one who can do it. So that we pray that you would renew our hearts and our minds through the regeneration of your spirit and, and give us the gift of being able to trust in Jesus so that we can know you, so that we can listen to him, so that we can have our, our judgment and our sanity restored to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we prepare to come to the table, let's stand and confess our faith together using the Apostles' Creed.